Hi everyone, Demetrius McRae here, your online campus pastor here at Calvary Christian Center. Welcome to our podcast. As we are in our season of healing, just so you know, we are worshiping on campus and making sure that our worship experiences are safe and sanitary. May today's message bring healing, hope, and ultimately transformation. Hope you enjoy the message. Clap your hands and give God a mighty shout. Okay, precious, just slip up your hands. Today we magnify the name of Jesus. Let there be an outpouring of your presence today, Lord, as I teach through this tabernacle. I pray, Lord, that you will point every heart, every life, every broken place. Let us bring it to Jesus. Jesus, we need you. We can't make it without you. Jesus, you have made every difference in our lives. You have brought us salvation. You have brought us redemption. You have brought us healing. You have prepared us for heaven. We give Jesus all the praise. Thank you, Jesus. If you love Jesus, come on, give him praise right now. Okay, precious, you can be seated. I'd like the lights to be dimmed if we can, and I want you just to focus on up here. How many of you enjoyed praying through the tabernacle last week? Bring the lights down in the balcony as well. You by live stream, this is your moment. Thank you for being with us. This is our live stream church, and we love you. Would you take a moment and share this and let people know that I'm going to be teaching right in the tabernacle? Don't you think that our team, Oswaldo, and our guys that built this, didn't they outdo themselves? Everything here is built to spec. Now, we've been singing about Jesus, and I want you to know that everything about the tabernacle points you to Jesus, points you to his cross. In fact, the way that the tabernacle is laid out, if we just put it in perfect order, you would see that it comes straight like this, and then the table of showbread is over here, the candlestick is over here, and if we had it set up properly, but I'm teaching, so I'll put it out a little bit, the altar of worship would be right in behind the mercy seat. And you would see in all actuality the cross. If you look at the way that the camps would, uh, the, the tribes would camp round about the, the tabernacle, you had three to the north, three to the south, three to the east, and three to the west. The tribes back here were much more populous, so this was a much longer and larger area that they camped, but even the camp was laid out like a cross. Everything about this tabernacle points you to Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I'm understanding that I'm living in a day when I know that our generation needs Jesus more than we've ever needed him before. So I'm just going to take you on a journey I had prepared. I wanted to teach the whole thing, but I got to the altar and got stuck. Come on, y'all. So I'm going to teach a few spots today, but I want to teach. If I had a title today, it would be All on the Altar. I want to bring everything that I have and everything that I am, every hope, every dream, every struggle, every failure, every issue, I want to bring it to the altar. I want to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Now, this wilderness tabernacle, I told you last week, it's full of types and shadows and prototypes. Everything about this tabernacle points you towards something. There's so much about it, I don't even have time. It would 
take me, I believe, even years to teach the totality of this tabernacle. But this wilderness tabernacle points us to Jesus. It points us to redemption. It points us to so many things. There are two chapters in, in the Bible that describe creation and even the creation of man. But there are over 50 chapters in God's Word that are used to explain this tabernacle, the building and the function of the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, you'll find many hidden things. I, I could show you kingdom order. I, should show, I could show you the plan of salvation. I've already shown you the cross. I could show you the beauty of redemption and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I could show you so much more. But ultimately, this wilderness tabernacle points us to one thing. It's one chief thing. All of this is about one thing. God wants to connect with his people. God wants his presence to be a reality. So God said, I'm going to do what it takes to make my presence real for my people. The heavenly Father desired fellowship with his people. He desired it then, and guess what? He desires it right now. Oh, how many of you are glad that God desires to fellowship with us? The tabernacle was all about God being present in the lives of his children. It was all about God being present in the lives of his children. Now, let's move on. Isn't it awesome to think that this tabernacle was built with certain specs and certain plans? God said, this is how you're going to do it. Nothing was left to chance. God said, if you're going to connect with me, you connect with me on my terms. He said, you connect with me my way, not your way. We connect with God on his terms, not our terms. So watch this now. We see the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. Everything that was done here was done in natural light. It was outside the tent. It represents the flesh realm. It represents the realm where we have to see it, touch it, smell it, taste it, or hear it, or we don't experience it. Unfortunately, much of the church lives in the flesh realm, not realizing that we serve a God who is supernatural, that he confounds the laws of nature and he does things that we call miracles. I wonder if there's anybody here that still serves a miracle-working God. Uh, everything that was done here was done in natural light, but then you come in here to the inner court and you see the golden candlestick, 100 pounds, three separate pieces three representing the Trinity. You see the light and the oil, the seven lamps. The lamps represent the church. And the lamp was nothing without the oil. Ah. And you know the church is nothing without the oil. We're nothing without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But everything that was done here was done by candlelight. But even though it represented progress, even though the priest would come by the altar, wash himself here at the labor, and he would progress into the inner court, there was still a dependency on the natural realm because you still needed somebody to bring you bread for the table and oil for the lamp. You were still depending on a man. 
Some of you have been in a season in your life where you've still been depending on a man. You've been counting on men to break you through and men to give you a miracle. But I'm telling you, there's a realm and a place that God is about to take his church. There's a realm and a place that God's about to usher you into. And this breakthrough is not going to come because a man brought it to you or a man provided it or a man made it happen. But God is going to bring you into a realm where there is no explanation for what's going on. See, there was natural light here. There was candlelight here. But the glory of the Lord was the light here. And I've come to testify that I'm ready to see the glory of the Lord work miracles in my life, save my family, turn my situation around. So all I can say is look what the Lord has done. This defies logic. God had to do it. Is there anybody here that still believes in the miracle working power of God? But everything about this tabernacle was specific. Everything about this tabernacle pointed us towards something else. It let us know that there was more going on. And I want to let you know today that no matter what you're facing and no matter what you feel like you're up against, maybe you've had a hard week. Maybe you've had a hard month or a hard year, but there's more going on than you think there is. The Lord is on your side. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to begin our journey. And the journey actually starts outside of the outer court. Everything was done specifically and in order for a reason and a purpose. You've heard me talk a little bit about this in the past, but there were 12 tribes that camped round about the tabernacle. There was three to the north, three to the south, three to the east, and three to the west. 12 tribes that camped round about the tabernacle. Now watch this. When the children of Israel were journeying through the desert, they would stop to make camp. And before they did anything else, before they set their tents up, before they gathered anything else, they made God's presence a priority. The wilderness tabernacle, the place of dwelling, the place of encounter, the place of forgiveness, the place of hope, it always came first. So everybody would pitch their tents toward this tabernacle. Every single tribe would pitch their tents towards the presence of God. And I want you to understand today that if we have any hope and we have any help in our lives, We've got to make God's presence our priority. I want you to understand that God's got to be first, y'all. We live in a generation that thinks we can just kind of fit God in wherever we want him. That we can give God what's left. We don't need to give God what's left. We need to give him what's right. And what's right is what's first. See, God is preeminent. He's always been. And he always will be. Nothing came before God. So God said, I don't fit on your list. You can't put me on your to-do list and make me number three, four, or five. He said, I'm number one or nothing. See, the Bible said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things 
shall be added unto you. We live in a time when this generation is so mesmerized with things. We're so consumed with things. If we could just have more things. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, things cannot redeem you. Things cannot heal you. Things cannot help you. Things cannot set you free. But there is a name that is high above every name. Everything you need is found in Jesus. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the pursuit. So you would say, Pastor Rayleigh, What's some of the secret sauce of Calvary? What, what has enriched this ministry through the years? I'll tell you what has been our secret. We've made God's presence the number one priority. Not buildings, not programs, not personalities. Because when it's all said and done, a man can't deliver you, and a man can't save you, and a program can't set you free. But if you can get in the presence of the Lord, everything can change. So I would admonish you as a father in the Lord to build your life around the presence of God. Now, now watch this. It's very necessary to understand that right in front of this entrance into God's presence, as you begin this journey going into the tabernacle, there were three tribes that camped in front of the entrance. There was the tribe of Issachar, the tribe of Zebulun, and the tribe of Judah. Each one of these tribes were very powerful tribes. They were the largest tribes. And you had to come through these camps if you were going to approach the entrance into God's presence. Now, everything means something as it relates to the tabernacle. I believe even the names of these three tribes are significant. Ishikar. Ishikar's name means a reward is coming. Zebulun's name means dwell and gift. And Judah's name means praise. So I'll say it again. Ishikar's name means a reward is coming. I don't know who I'm talking to, but some of you have made his presence your priority. And the devil says, I'm going to defeat you, but I have come to testify and tell you that a reward is coming. That if you'll stay hot after God, God will shift your situation and turn it around. Zebulun's name means dwell and gift, and then Judah, of course, means praise. And I cannot underestimate to you the power of praise. I can't underestimate to you the necessity for you to praise the Lord, for you to know what it is to praise God. See, praise is necessary. Praise is not just a ritualistic thing that we go through or a few songs that we sing. Praise has to be a lifestyle. I'm tired of hearing people say, I don't praise God because I'm too deep. I don't clap because I'm too deep. I don't, I don't lift my hands or open my mouth because I'm too deep. The reality of it all is deep people praise God. When you open your mouth and praise God, things shift. 
The truth is you can pray and still be heavy. You, you can give and still be heavy. You can read your Bible and still be heavy. But when you put on a garment of praise, you take off a spirit of heaviness and all that heaviness has to break off of you. There are some things that won't happen until you praise the Lord. Judah was a very powerful, it was the largest tribe, but Judah was also the tribe that led through the desert. Anytime they were going to walk through the desert, it was Judah out front. Judah leading through the desert. Judah in the hot times. Judah in the hard times. Judah in the lean times. Judah in the struggling times. You can sit out there and be cute if you want to, but the reality of it all is this. You wouldn't be here today if you wouldn't know how to get Judah out front. It's been praise in your hard times. It's been praise in your sick times. It's been praise when you felt like crying. You opened your mouth and said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. It was Judah that led in the battle. Anytime they were going to fight, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Amalekites, the Amorites, or the Jebusites. Some of y'all been dealing with the crazy childrenites and the bad bossites. Come on. And the demon-possessed husbandites. Don't make me preach. But it was Judah that would get out there. And 16 to 24 hours before they shot an arrow, before they threw a spear, Judah would go out there with their drums, and they would go out there with their tambourines, and they would give God praise for the victory before they even fought a battle. See, anybody can praise him when all your children are saved. Anybody can praise him when you got money in your pocket. Anybody can praise him when you're having just what you want. But when all hell is breaking loose, when there's a pandemic, when people are laid out of church, when people are wearing masks, when everything that can go wrong seems to be attacking you, but you rise up and say, I will give God praise. You're letting hell know that the battle is already won. That it's a fight, but it's a fixed fight. So remember, you got Zebulun. Bring that back up, please. You got Zebulun. You've got Issachar. And you've got Judah. Zebulun means a reward is coming. Or, or Issachar means a reward is coming. Zebulun means to dwell or gift. And Judah means praise. So if you tie it all together, here's what I think it means. Are you ready? Come on, bring it up on the screen. Bring the next one up. It means this. When you dwell in praise, gifts and rewards are coming. Huh. Come on, you're walking right into God's presence. Judah, Zebulun, and Issachar. And I want you to know when you dwell in praise, gifts and rewards are coming. Breakthrough is coming. Healing is coming. Redemption is coming. Power is coming. Hell doesn't want you to know it, but there's something your praise can do. It can bring rewards. It can bring gifts. It can bring healing. Now, just made it to the outer court, right? We've built everything around God's presence, but then there's a door. The door is actually 30 feet wide. There's a gate all the way around. There's actually a fence all the way around the entirety of the tabernacle, but there's a gate that looks different than the fence. You know it's the gate because it's light blue, it's scarlet, it's purple. The gate is different than everything else. It's like nothing else in the tabernacle. And there was only one way in. There wasn't a side door, 
that wasn't a back door. You couldn't climb over the fence or you couldn't crawl under it. The Bible said you'd be the same as a thief and a robber if you tried to come into God's presence that way because Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said I am the door to the sheepfold. Now I know this is not popular preaching and I know a lot of people can't handle this nowadays because we're too politically correct and we've come to be, we've become too ecumenical in our philosophy. But I've come to let you know today that there is still only one way into the presence of God. There's only one way into redemption. Buddha can't save you. Allah can't redeem you. Krishna can't turn your life around. But there is a door, and that door is Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. Where are the preachers that will rise up again and say in America, Jesus is the answer. That doesn't mean we're warring with anybody else. That doesn't mean we hate those of another religion. But what I am telling you is this. I will not give up the name of Jesus. He is my salvation. He is my strength. If you believe in the mighty name of Jesus and he is your door, open your mouth and give Jesus a mighty praise. The door was different than everything else. It looked like nothing else. Don't you know Jesus is different than everything else? Come on. You go to Buddha's tomb, he's still there, occupied. Go to Krishna's tomb, occupied. Come on, somebody. You go to Muhammad's tomb, occupied. But you go to the tomb of Jesus, and you'll find out that we serve a risen Savior, and he's in the world today. That's what makes Jesus different. He conquered death and hell in the grave. The door, check it out now, was 30 feet wide. Who ever heard of a 30-foot wide door? Man, that's, that's a huge door. The door was so wide that in reality, if we had the real door here, the door didn't swing open. The door was cloth, so it was rolled up. So the priest would come in through the door, bowing down. He would slide underneath that cloth. And coming into the presence of God, he was saying, come let us worship and bow down. He was saying, I can't heal myself. I can't deliver myself. I can't make a way for myself. I can't save my children. I can't provide for tomorrow. So I'm going to bow down and I'm going to acknowledge that there is a power greater than my power. And there is a name that is greater than my name. Hallelujah. And that name is Jesus. That door was 30 feet wide. Who in the world ever heard of a 30 foot wide door? Come on now. That's extra wide. That's a whosoever will door. You can sit out there and be cute if you want to, but it took an extra wide door for you. It took an extra wide door for me. Oh, come on now. 
If he wouldn't have made that door extra wide, we would have never got in with the junk in our trunk. Can I get a witness? But he made a door so wide, hallelujah, that it doesn't matter what you've dealt with. It doesn't matter how you've fallen. It doesn't matter what sin has done to you. It doesn't matter about that addiction. It doesn't matter about that sexual confusion. It doesn't matter about those drugs. It doesn't matter about that mouth. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about that that divorce or that abortion. It has no power over you because there is a door that is extra wide that says whosoever will, let him come. Anybody glad for the door? Are you tracking with me? Are you on the journey with me? Tell your neighbor we're going somewhere. Oh, hallelujah. That's the beauty of walking with the Lord. He's always taking you somewhere. Hallelujah. You're always going to another level. The enemy's tried to keep you captive. The enemy's tried to keep you in bondage. But I'm telling you, I speak in the mighty name of Jesus that you're headed somewhere. So, built our life around God's presence, right? We've come through Issachar and Zebulun and Judah. We've come through one door. Is there, is there one door in? Is that what you believe? Is it extra wide? Did you get in? Maybe your neighbor can't praise him, but you ought to praise him if you got in. Ah. Uh, Oh, I hear you, Lord. The Lord said, just stop and let people praise me that they actually got in. I I dare you to praise him at home if you actually got in. I had issues. I failed, but I got in. So we come in. The first thing we encounter, and this is probably where I'm going to get stuck for the next 15 or 20 minutes, and I'll probably have to close right here. I've written about the tabernacle for years. I've got a book well on the way to being done. I I think I need to get busy and finish it and release it. Come on, y'all. But I came right here, and I got stuck at the brazen altar. Because the brazen altar is a place of covenant and connection. There, There are no mercy seat miracles. Everybody wants to get here. But you can't get here until you come here. This piece of furniture is so big, this brazen altar, that everything else can fit inside of it. Every single article in this temple could be broken down and placed in this altar. This brazen altar is where we connect first with God and Him with us in the way of a redemption mercy process. The word altar in the Hebrew actually means to climb higher. It means to ascend. It means to rise. And I want you to understand something. I want you to get this deep down in your spirit. And never forget, you will never rise to your God-given potential without the presence of an altar in your life. 
If you want to rise, you got to come to the altar. If you want to know power, you got to come to the altar. If you want to know breakthrough, you got to come to the altar. We all want to hurry and get to this miracle zone. We all want to rush and bypass the altar. But you cannot bypass that altar and get to the mercy seat. Look at this now. The mercy seat compared to the altar is actually small. The mercy seat is the miracle zone, but it's actually small compared to the altar. What we want to do is build little altars and have big miracles. But the Lord said, I'm ready for a people who want to get in contact and come with me and they'll build a big altar and the bigger the altar the bigger the miracles the bigger the altar the bigger the connection the bigger the altar the bigger the breakthrough I tell you in 2021 here's the key build a bigger altar you don't need a bigger bank account you need a bigger altar you don't need a bigger opportunity you need a bigger altar because if you build a big altar everything else comes into line powerful to me that this precious altar was built the way that it was your altar when you build a big altar it alters your life altar A-L-T-A-R will alter A-L-T-E-R it'll alter your circumstances It'll alter your problems. It'll alter your family, your issues, your children, your sin. Your altar will alter you. You can't spend time at the altar and come out the same way. Hallelujah. When you spend time at the altar, everything changes. I don't know what I would be without the altar. Now watch this. That priest would come. Lord, he would offer you two lambs a day. A lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. In fact, on the Sabbath, he would offer four lambs a day. Two in the morning and two in the evening. There was always a sweet-smelling savor in the tabernacle. There was always a sense of prayer that was going on I want to tell you you think you have to come to church to pray you think you have to be in a religious place to pray you can pray on your job you can pray at McDonald's come on you can pray at your school you can pray in an airplane that altar is everywhere they would bring those sacrifices to the Lord when they would bring those sacrifices to the Lord these sacrifices were heavy. They were difficult to lift. So what would happen if we had this built to spec and we were in Jerusalem, you would find out that there were actually ramps that were built around the altar to assist the priest, to help him elevate and rise so he could present the sacrifice. But understand this. There were ramps, not steps. I'll say it again. There were ramps and not steps. Because if you study your Bible, steps were what you climbed when you were going to worship a false god. Steps pointed people towards idolatry. But this that the priest walked on was a ramp. And the reason 
Hebrew scholars tell us that there were ramps and not steps. He said because when the priest would take a step, he would hike his robe up and you could see his flesh. And there was to be no flesh at the altar. You were to see no flesh at the altar. It was ramps and not steps. I'm telling you, flesh dies at the altar. A true altar is a place where you get real. Yet you don't hide anything from God and flesh has to die. We've got people trying to get on this step and that step and go to this level and that level. What you need to do is bring that sacrifice to the Lord and say, God, if there's anything in me that grieves you, if there's anything in my flesh that should not be there, let it perish now. Hide it and let me get to your altar. Change me. Change me. The brazen altar. Remember now, we're talking about types and shadows, right? We're trying to understand, and I'm just preaching from the abundance of my heart today. But we're talking about types and shadows, so everything represents something. Everything about the tabernacle points you to a fulfillment that would be accomplished in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. So the brazen altar is the place where the blood flowed. The brazen altar is the place where the sacrifice gave his life. The brazen altar is where the innocent die for the guilty and where the blood is shed. The brazen altar then represents the cross of Jesus Christ. It's where we understand that there is wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. It's where we understand we cannot redeem ourselves, but there is a cross, an altar that Jesus died on and shed his blood for me. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. You've heard me talk about this during uh, communion, but remission of sin, it literally means this. When the blood flows, sin is put in remission. If you've ever dealt with cancer, what you most long to hear is that the cancer is in remission, right? What they're telling you is this, we've checked your entire body. We've checked your organs, we've checked your blood, we've checked your sinews, we've checked your brain, we've checked your bones. And your sin is in remission. Remission means to dismiss and send away. What that physician is telling you is this, there is no sin in you. Once it's covered with the blood, the blood puts your sin in remission. You can sit out there and be cute if you want to, but if you can't praise God over that, I feel sorry for you because your past is in remission. Your failure is in remission. Your compromise is in remission. Your sin is in remission as long as you get it under the blood of Jesus. Denominationalism can't put your sin in remission. Being a good person can't put your sin in remission. Being gifted or smart can't put your sin in remission. But let me tell you, there is something called the blood of Jesus Christ that can dismiss every sin that you've ever done. When you come to the altar, your sin is in remission. 
And then the Bible said in Exodus, Exodus 12, 13, all the way back to Passover, the Bible said that when they put the blood over the doorpost and the lintels of the house, it said this, the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The word Passover in the Hebrew means to hop. It means to skip. It means to jump. He said, when I see the blood, not when I see your denominational card, not when I see your good works, not when I see how what you think of yourself, not when I see your money. He said, no, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. What you've got to understand is that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't even see your strengths or your weaknesses when he looks at you he sees the blood of Jesus hallelujah it's the blood that keeps you safe it's the blood that gives you strength it's the blood that gives you power is there anybody here today that still believes in the power of the blood of the lamb when I see the blood I'll pass over pass over pass over I'll hop I'll skip I'll jump how many times did the devil look at you and say I got her now I'll take her family now. I'll take his salvation now. I'll take his future now. I'll take his joy now. I'll take his peace now. I'll take his purpose now. And he came at you, but when he saw you, when he came toward you, he saw the blood. And the devil had to hop. And the devil had to skip. And the devil had to jump. See, there's a lot of things you can praise God for that you know about. There's a lot of things you can praise God that you're acquainted with. But there's some things that never got to you. There's some things that never touched your children. There's some things that never touched your family because when the devil saw the blood, the blood spoke up and the blood said, back off. They belong to Jesus. The Bible said the blood of Jesus speaks better things. Hallelujah. The blood is talking. The devil wants to come to your house, but the blood said, you better back up. You can't get in. The blood covers here. That's why I'm always going to be a blood preacher. If you don't want that, you better find another church. I want you to stay. But I'm telling you, if I got to choose between making you happy and the blood, I'm choosing the blood. Now watch. When the tabernacle was completed in the initial stages... The Bible said, this is where the glory is. Not teaching here. This is just a commercial. Come on. But there was so much glory here that the fire of God fell from heaven and fell on the mercy seat. It was so much glory and so much power. There had been a lamb that had been sacrificed on this altar. This altar then is covered with blood. This altar, blood is across this altar. The sacrifice died on this altar. Watch this now. The fire falls, comes underneath, out into the inner court, underneath the veil, underneath the curtains. And the fire falls on the blood-soaked altar. The fire fell where the blood covered. You know what that tells me? 
That tells me, baby, if it's covered with the blood, the fire will fall on it. You know what the fire is? The fire is God's power and God's presence. And I come to let you know if it's covered with the blood, the fire will fall on it. If you don't believe me, 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room in one accord. They had just been freshly washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible said, clothing tongues as a fire sat down upon each of them and they were empowered. I've come to let you know you don't have to be the right this or the right that or have that title or another title. If you're covered with the blood, the fire of the Holy Ghost can fall upon you and you can be empowered how many of you are rather hungry for a fresh empowerment of the Holy Ghost if your praise is your proclamation that you're hungry if you're ready for fresh fire make a little noise right now this is you saying, God, I'm a candidate. Let your fire fall on me. I'm covered with your blood. Let your, come on now. I'm going to keep teaching, but I feel right here somebody needs to say, Lord, this is my desperation on display. Now, now here's where where some people get uncomfortable because the sacrifice, these were called the horns of the altar. See the four horns of the altar? I need to hurry, but I'm sorry, I'm gonna take my time. It says I got four minutes and 22 seconds. I, I'm taking longer than that, I'm just letting you know. When you pastor your church, you can do the same thing. The horns of the altar were very important. The Bible talks about grabbing the horns of the altar in prayer. But what the horns of the altar were actually used for was this. The sacrifice was tied to the altar. They would take that sacrifice, come up that ramp. They would splatter the blood on the altar. And then they would tie that sacrifice to the altar. Now isn't it something that Paul said in Romans 12, 1, that you and I should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. I've often wondered why would they tie a dead sacrifice to the altar? I think it was because the Lord was pointing us to the fact that one day, we would have to be a living sacrifice. And the problem with living sacrifices is this, they want to crawl off the altar. A living sacrifice wants to crawl off the altar and say it's too hot, it's too hard. But the truth is the sacrifice has to stay there because it's necessary for the sacrifice to be consumed. 
understand what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to say that if you're not careful, the, the cares of life, the struggles, the issues, the trouble that you're going through will cause you to want to crawl off the altar and say, I just can't do this. I quit. It's too hard. Can I be transparent with you? There's been seasons through 2020 and 2021 where I said, God, I can do something else. I can write. I can travel. This is hard. Trying to bring your people together is hard. But I have to remind myself, I am a living sacrifice. So God, whatever you ask of me, tie me to your altar. Tie me to your will. Tie me to your plan. Even if it gets hot, let me stay there. Even if it gets hard, let me stay there. I can't afford to get off your altar. Tie yourself to the altar. Allow yourself to be consumed by the power of God. So when you tie yourself to the altar, you're saying, Lord, consume me. Consume my agenda. Consume my attitudes. Consume my compromise. Consume my mind. Consume my motivation. Consume my life. Consume my fears. Consume my feelings of self-doubt. Consume my past. Consume my desires. Consume my future. Consume my pride. Consume anything in me that itches for glory. But don't let me get off your altar. Let me stay on your altar until I become what you intend for me to become. reason some people are in trouble is because they mess right around and untied themselves from the altar. The devil can't untie you, but you can surely untie yourself. Now check this out. The altar, five cubics long, five cubics wide, three cubics tall, five. What about five, Pastor? Five is a number of grace in the Bible. There are many examples. And here's just a few, just some. It was the fifth day of creation where God filled the earth with the waters of life. And you see, because of that altar and because of what Jesus did, you and I are filled with living water. Out of your belly shall flow forth rivers of living water. That means for a thirsty man who's thirsty for the things of God, money can't satisfy you. Prestige can't satisfy you. Just going to another level in people's eyes cannot satisfy you. But there is a thirst in you that can only be met by grace living water. Anybody thankful that Jesus quenches your thirst? When people reject you, Jesus says, have a drink of me. When Jesus doubts you, when people doubt you, Jesus says, have a drink of me. I'll do for you what they could never do for you. Fifth day, living water. The fifth time Noah is mentioned in the Bible, we read the text in Genesis 6, 8. And Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Huh? You know where you find grace at? You find grace right here at this altar 
When you find grace nowhere else, you'll find it at a blood-soaked altar, the cross of Jesus Christ. When people say you can't find grace, when people say you've gone too far, when people say you failed too much, when people say your past is too deep, when people say your struggle has been too much, when people say your sin has been too grievous, let me tell you there is an altar that's five by five, grace coming and grace going, and grace will meet you at the altar. The entirety of the tabernacle is built in these dimensions. If you study, you see fives, 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 one post, two post, three post, four post, five. The dimensions of the tabernacle are full of fives and grace. Yeah. It points us to grace. Let me tell you, it was these fives that held the tabernacle up. It was these fives that held it all up. And I want to tell you, you can sit out there and try to be religious if you want to, but the truth is it's not your gift. It's not your ability. It's not your goodness that holds it all up. It's the grace of God. If we got what we deserve, we wouldn't even be here today. It's the grace of God. Oh, I dare you to give God praise for His grace right now. See, it doesn't matter what you've done. Grace is at the altar. Grace is for everybody. That's why you can't judge people who've fallen. Grace is still at the altar. Grace may not be in some churches, but let me tell you, it's surely at the altar. Grace may not be in some denominations, but it's surely at the altar. Tabernacle was built in dimensions of five. But watch this. Study your Bible. The holy anointing oil is made up of five ingredients. That priest would receive that anointing oil, and it was made up of five ingredients. The devil wishes I wouldn't tell you this. The devil wants me to shut up right now, but I'm not going to do it. Come on, I got, I got a bell, and I can ring it. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to tell you that's the dinner bell. That's the bell that tells you to come because the ingredients of worship, uh, the ingredients of the anointing oil, the holy anointing oil were five. Hell doesn't want you to know it, but yoke destroying, burden bearing anointing is found at the altar. What you can't do in the flesh, you can get underneath the anointing and it will break every yoke. It will lift every burden. What you cannot accomplish on your own, find power at the altar. I look back across my life. <laughs> and I couldn't come to you until I've been here. The incense of worship, stacked the Annika, Galvin, and Frankincense, four ingredients, and then salted, making five, five ingredients. The enemy doesn't want you to know it, but worship opens up at the altar. Have you ever been praying, asking, seeking, knocking, admonishing God, I need you to move, Lord, I need you to move, and then all of a sudden, something shifts. 
And you go from asking God to say, Lord, I worship you. There ain't nobody like you. You are wonderful, Jesus. I magnify you. Have you ever had an altar turn into a worship session? Have you ever been praying and just been overcome with worship? Let me tell you, real worship starts right here. You don't have to wait till you get here. You and your worship him right where you are. Don't wait to worship him till you get to the next level. Worship him right where you are. Don't wait to worship him when you got it all figured out. Worship him right where you are. Five. I say five. Five is the number of grace. David collected five smooth stones and killed Goliath and won the victory. Oh, I, I need every attack of the devil to hear me. I want every giant in your life to know. I want the devil to understand. I know Satan hates the altar because he knows giant killing power is found at the altar. Hallelujah. When you've been at the altar, you don't leave the altar as a victim. You don't leave the altar overcome. You don't leave the altar defeated. But you walk out and say, where's the giant now? Where's he at now? I got power now. Somebody who's ever got power at the altar to defeat the giants, give the Lord a mighty praise. Come on, you at home, give the Lord a mighty praise. Five feet long, five feet wide, three feet high. Three, three, three. Three is a powerful number. Three represents unity. It represents harmony. It represents the unity and harmony of the Godhead. See, here's what I want you to know. It represents unity. Somebody say unity. It represents harmony. Somebody say harmony. Watch this now. Racism, classism, division, all of that mess dies at the altar. Because a white man has to come to the same altar as a black man, and a black man has to come to the same altar as a Hispanic man, and a Hispanic man has to come to the same altar as an Asian man. So don't strut around and act like you're better because you got more money or because you're this race or that race. We all need the blood, and we all need the altar, and all that mess dies. The problem with the church in America is that much of the church has left the altar. Can't remain angry and divided and consumed by discord and unforgiveness as we've been to the altar. We learn that we're all made in His image. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we all need the altar. God is enthroned at the altar. That's why you're saying, God, I'm not in charge, you are. See, three is the number of the Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus has manifested mercy at the altar. When you come to the altar, the Father cleanses us at the altar. Ah, listen, the Holy Ghost empowers us at the altar. Yeah, oh, let me tell you even one more. Can I go just a little bit deeper? Three is the number of the resurrection. Jesus rose on the third day. I want to tell you, when you come to the altar, dead things come back to life. When you come to the altar, man, things 
rights. Some of you right now, there are some things you think that are dead, but you're going to come to the altar, and God is about to breathe on your future. He's about to breathe on your family. Okay, here we go. The altar was built four square. One, two, three, four. That's what it means when it's built four square. The entire tabernacle was built four square. One, two, three, four. When the priest wore the ephod and the ephod was on his body and there were stones, 12 stones, that ephod was four square. One, two, three, four. For. In fact, the New Jerusalem, heaven, where we are headed, heaven, the Bible said it is a city that is built four square. Come on, somebody. But here's what you got to know. You'll never get to that city built four square until you come to an altar that is built four square. He said, this is the way in. This is what gets you to heaven, not your works, not your ability. Come to the altar. This is the place that opens up the New Jerusalem and opens up heaven, not a denomination. Not your good works. Come to the altar. There's a lot of talk about kingdom, and I love kingdom. And we are manifesting the kingdom. But I want to tell you something. The Bible says that Jesus said, when you pray, pray thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to tell you that the kingdom doesn't come to a building. The kingdom doesn't come to a denomination. The kingdom doesn't come to good works. The kingdom comes to the altar. Yeah, that's, that's the entrance for the kingdom. If you want to get kingdom power, you got to say, Lord, whatever is in heaven, let it manifest in earth. So how do you do it? Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. When you come here to the altar, that's when you get ready to manifest the kingdom. How many of you want whatever's in heaven to come Come to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You manifest it at the altar. If you want to live in kingdom power and victory, this is where you start. If you want to manifest the kingdom of God and the atmosphere of heaven, you cannot bypass the altar. So watch this now. The altar is a place of, here it goes, sacrifice. The altar is a place where we bring an offering to God. You say, Pastor, what, what offering? What offering are you talking about? What's the offering that I offer to God? Do I bring him money? Do I bring him precious jewels? Come to the altar when all you can offer is you. Thank you for joining us for today's message. You can continue to be a part of all that God is doing here at Calvary Christian Center. You can text to give at 386-866-3060 or you can give at calvaryfl.com slash give. We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and also for you to share this podcast with your community, your family, and your friends. Again, thank you for joining us.